It's Your Dime, a straight talk interview series presented by Shift Gold. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. In this episode, I'll be talking to radio host and preparedness expert, Suzanne Sherman. Suzanne and I will discuss why everybody should be prepared for a disaster, why we can't count on government to save us, what kinds of supplies we should have on hand in case of an emergency, how to store all of your prepper stuff, planning for your entire family, how to be ready for a barter economy, and the ethics of preparedness. Well, thank you for watching It's Your Dime. I am here today with Suzanne Sherman from the lovely state of Utah. How are you doing, Suzanne? I'm doing well. How are you, my friend? I'm doing just dandy. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on. We're going to talk today about the issue of preparedness and self-sufficiency. But before we get into all the details, I want to start with a segment that I like to call, Who Are You and Why Are You on My Show? Uh, which is basically just an opportunity to kind of introduce yourself, give people your background. And uh, in the course of that, I want you to share with us one thing that has absolutely nothing to do with this interview. So something about you that has nothing to do with the interview at all. Do I start with that one? <laughs> you can start with whatever you want. Let's see. Who am I? I I'm essentially a nobody that has kind of risen to some sort of having a following because of what I'm trying to advocate to people that rather than being so frustrated with whether or not be politics or as I was concerned growing up in California as a little girl, I heard all these stories about California going into the ocean one day and that terrified me because I never understood the context. Once I grew up and became a mother, I realized that simply wringing my hands and worrying about something over which I had no control I needed to come up with a plan to provide for my children in the event of a major earthquake. So I started small and I started with growing food. I started with storing food and rather than worrying, it's a very empowering um, hobby. I like to prefer to preparedness is not something you see as we'll get into uh, that has been sensationalized on television, but it's something that everybody can do regardless of where you live or what you're concerned about. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about that, it kind of reminds me of, of the stoic philosophy that you see sometimes in, uh, in in Greek philosophy, the idea that you control what you can control and you kind of let the rest of it go. And then there are certainly things that we can control uh, and there's no sense in worrying about things that we can't. So what, what's going to happen is going to happen, but we can control those aspects that, that we have uh, you know, under our control, right? <laughs> right. And if we had had a major earthquake, couldn't get out of our home in California, well, what did I have? I had food stored up. I had some water put away. I had um, some alternative means for lighting the house, for cooking our food. You know, you think about these things. Television, reality TV, we have to put in, in quotes, really is great for ratings, but it doesn't give you a lot of information. In fact, there was a show called Doomsday Preppers on National Geographic, and I think it did a tremendous disservice to the preparedness community insofar as it made us look like a bunch of lunatics living in shipping containers and bugging out in school buses with our goats and running around in hazmat suits. You know, it's great entertainment value, and you can even take a little bit of knowledge out of there and find something you might have overlooked 
But overall, preparedness is something that can be done very sensibly. It can be done on a budget and it can actually be a fun hobby. You can invite, you know, you can teach your children about it. And really, this is how people lived, say, 70 years ago. I have friends in West Virginia, for instance, that say, this is what my grandma used to do. She used to put up food. She used to can. She used to prepare for a rainy day. Now we just think, well, if something happens, I'll just run to Walmart for milk and bread. We're three days away from empty shelves. So I encourage people to understand that the food, the supplies you think you can get readily at any store at any given time can suddenly become unavailable, either because they can't be delivered from some sort of natural calamity or because of social unrest or something else. It might not be safe to go to the store. So I tell people, look, there, there are ways that you can prepare for short term, let's say power's out, there's something, a uh, major storm, you need to bug in for a while, stay, stay safe, power out now, you're looking a little bit longer out, and then you can venture out into the area, what would I do if there's a long-term collapse? For those that are thinking about getting started, think small, think what is common to you, what do you, what are you worried about the most? If it's an earthquake, prepare for an earthquake. If you live where there are hurricanes, prepare for those. Arthur T. Bradley wrote a book that I, it was my starting book when I started getting interested in all this. And he says that we live on the most dangerous continent weather-wise on the planet. So that should give everybody some pause and think, you know what, this could affect me. It's not in the realm of craziness to be ready for what he refers to, for instance, as the five horsemen of death, tsunamis, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes and floods. Many of us are susceptible to those. Many of us are susceptible to losing our jobs. We're susceptible to illness, which can be financially devastating. You mentioned hyperinflation. Isn't that a way of tying in with your ship gold series here? That's, you know, what we're talking about really complements your strategy in gold investment. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing about yourself that has nothing to do with this at all. One thing about myself, I really believe that, and it's hard to distance this from what we're doing today, but I have really changed as a person from living in California, growing up in the country club life, practicing law in California, huge swimming pool to saying, you know what? I really think there's more to life than just having all the stuff that impresses other people. If you can simplify I have just found that that's a key to being uh, much happier. That's me. I've challenged myself time and time again, moving to a place that's remote in the mountains where I had to learn to maintain my own yard, or I've had to learn to plow snow, things that never, ever would have occurred to me uh, doing as, as much as 10 years ago. And I've done it. So I really encourage everybody to challenge themselves. Yeah. It's cool watching your Facebook feed because you're constantly posting pictures of well, first off, just the, the beauty that you live in and then, you know, pictures of chickens and and, uh, <laughs> and all of those things. And it is funny, you know, knowing your background as a lawyer from California, it's a, it's certainly a change, but you've you've embraced it with gusto. So um, that's pretty cool. So you kind of touched on this a little bit. And, and there is this this idea when you when you say preparedness or, you know, prepper is, is sometimes it's used shorthand that you get this tinfoil hat, you know, kind of nutty, oh, these people are crazy kind of thing. Um, and and you, you have this kind of idea that people are, are building a bunker so that, you know, when the nuclear holocaust comes, that they'll, they'll be safe. But 
as you pointed out to me that, and you've even alluded to it already, but I'd like you for you to go a little bit deeper into it. What are some things that people maybe don't think about uh, that are certainly within the realm of possibility? It could happen today or tomorrow uh, that would require us, that would necessitate us being prepared. You know, one of the one of the instances that really influenced me was a simple ice storm. It was in Maryland some years back. And we know that there's going to be ice back there. We know we're going to have those storms. Well, what happens to the power lines when you get too much ice on them? They collapse. The power goes out. What did we see on the news everywhere? FEMA, relief, coming in to bring people, what, generators and bottles of water. We see this consistently when we have natural disasters. And it's entirely predictable and it's entirely preventable to have to use these things and have them given to you um, by government relief agencies. I had friends that were during Hurricane Florence, oh my gosh, my generator doesn't work. You have, for instance, with hurricanes, what, five days, if not more, to get ready for that. So, you know, there are, there are so many ways that this can affect you that, again, is, is not something that's tinfoil hat. I'm not preparing for the zombie apocalypse. But think about this. I encourage people to, uh, there was a movie called American Blackout. And the, the premise there was, I believe, the power grid was down. There was no power on this continental landmass for 10 days. And they show people who do very well, who are prepared, and who did so reasonably. And then they show people who perished because they had absolutely no idea what was coming. We know about hyperinflation. We've seen this happen many times. We've experienced hurricanes. We see all these natural disasters. We've seen social unrest. So what's the harm in planning, even if you're going to possibly lose your job? Have some stuff put away. I consider also food. Uh, items that we take for granted that you can purchase now, if something happens, you don't have to buy them at hyperinflationary prices down the road. Yeah. And you underscore a good point. You know, my mom lives in Florida on the, on the coast and every year uh, mm -hmm. as she approaches hurricane season, she gets her, you know, she makes sure she's stocked up on water, uh, food supplies, batteries, uh, all of the things that she needs. So my 76-year-old mother is in a very real sense a prepper, you know, and, and she's hardly the tinfoil hat type of person, but this is just really common sense. And uh, as you as you noted, you know, you don't have to live in a, in a hurricane alley. I mean, I'm in Kentucky. We have tornadoes, uh, you know, ice storms. I think no matter where you are, there, there are the potential for these, uh, if, if nothing else, uh, short to medium term, type of situations where you can very easily find yourself, you know, cold, hungry and and desperate pretty quick. Um, so but here's the question. I'm sure a lot of people have this mentality. Why can't I just rely on the government? I mean, we've got FEMA and we've got, uh, you know, state agencies and the National Guard will come. I mean, why, you know, why do I need to worry about it? I've got these people that are going to come help me. Why can't we depend on those people? Let's let's engage in the fantasy for a moment that the government is completely efficient. <laughs> now let's get into the reality that there could be some genuine physical obstacles preventing them from getting to you or preventing you from getting to them. For instance, again, there could be after a hurricane or tornado power lines down everywhere where it's simply too dangerous or you don't want to leave your home because it is not safe to do so. Think about it this way. There are a tremendous number 
of uh, opportunists out there who otherwise might be decent neighbors and decent people in your community who for whatever re reason have not prepared, who will think nothing of when your children are hungry, going out and taking by force if reasonable requests do not suffice to take what you have. So you might not wanna be out there trying to get these goods that the government is going to give you. And it might not be safe to leave your home and then come back to find other people occupying it. Okay, so I'm convinced. But as a you know regular person who's never really thought about this before, it can kind of seem overwhelming. I mean, oh my gosh, okay, so what do I do? So can you kind of give us some some first steps for the person out there that might be watching is thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe this is a lot more reasonable and, and necessary than I thought. What are some first steps that people can take uh, when it comes to preparedness? That's such a great question because I struggled with that myself. Again, when I started getting ready for, for instance, earthquakes, because we had several of them when my, my boys were small in California, I got a duffel bag ready of some food that I kept by the bed or something that I could access easily, flashlights, batteries, shoes by the bed, because if there's broken glass, you want to have protection for your feet. So I started by what was most likely going to affect us. And I had that. And then I thought, well, what else can I do? Uh, if there's going to be power out long term, I, I remember the earthquake in 1989, the power was out for a while after the Loma Prieta quake. So uh, I started expanding that. And I tell people the, the most important things to focus on, especially for the short term, food, water, shelter. I can't afford to buy all that food, people will say. You can always find bargains at these stores. When you find these bargains, take advantage of them. Or tell yourself, every time I go shopping, I'm going to get two extra cans of food or store up some water or do something, buy some warm weather clothes if we have power out for a long time and we live in an area like I do in the mountains. There's always a way you can start small and do it smart. I also discourage people from trying to do it all at once. You see all these advertisements everywhere. There's very big money to be made in this industry where you say, buy buy a year's supply of food from you know xyz buck food bucket company i encourage people to resist that temptation because the easy solution is a solution that's not going to be beneficial to you long term that food tends to be very high in sodium and you want to come up with ways to vary your diet it's great for short term get some food buckets i have an example here where i bought just the meals already prepared rather than trying to get where you're paying an exorbitant amount of money for oatmeal or orange drinks, that sort of thing, you can get your meals already prepared. So start small and make it fun. Food, I have food, I grew tomatoes, I told you, and I can them, I pressure can them. I don't worry about my freezer. You can freeze meat. This was kind of my next tier, that was elk. That's kind of my next tier is once I started growing food, I decided how can I preserve this harvest and not rely on the freezer, which in turn relies on the electrical grid. So start simple, branch out from there. If you want to buy some canned foods, get extra supplies. Think about the times when it might not be reasonable to try to get to a store or get to relief. You should be able to, absent something that makes your home unsafe, be able to be there 
at least for a couple weeks. That should be your goal. So here's a practical thing that just comes to my mind, uh, living in a relatively small house. Do you have any practical advice for storage? Because that's the thing, that's the thing that seems most overwhelming to me. I want to get some food. I want to get water. Where the heck do I put this stuff? You can be very creative with that. I mean, there are always nooks and crannies. I see people that actually make tables from water or they actually put their mattresses on supplies of, of either water barrels or boxes and you can store things under beds. You can get creative with your closet space. You just have to make sure if you have if you have storage underneath your home, make sure it's safe from rodents. But you'd be surprised how much closet space you have, whether it be a garage. Make sure, again, what you're storing isn't too sensitive to temperatures. But it's uh, there are so many ways if you're serious about it to find storage. Again, if you're short on storage space, don't have big jars of food like I have here, but you can have smaller uh, packets of food, freeze dried or food where you have to have water. Again, you can squirrel away water anywhere or I live, I have a creek running behind my house, so I don't have to store vast amounts of water. You can purify water. If you have access to water, it takes a lot less storage space to purify it than it does to store gallons and gallons of water. Rule of thumb, whatever your situation is, is to plan on approximately three gallons of water per day per person. One little trick that I do is when I run out of a bottle of, say, liquid soap or shampoo, I pour water into that bottle and I put it away in a closet or storage somewhere. That way, if water supplies are short, you already have water that's soaked up for hygiene and you don't have to get into and compromise your drinking and cooking water supply. That's a really cool idea. See, that's something I never would have thought of. That's why you're smart and I'm not, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our things, but you know, and even I had a, another gal that has a hugely popular website. She didn't think of that either. But again, if you have the, the space, go ahead and use it, but it can be done even in an apartment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's important to note that, you know, if, if, if you're in an apartment, it could be even more important uh, because you have that that situation where you've got people packed around you and and uh, and you want to be able to be selfish. Here's something that that kind of was running through my head. You know, we tend to think about ourselves, but most of us do have families uh, and, and other loved ones that we would certainly want to make sure are taken care of in a situation like this. Uh, what are some considerations that people need to uh, have in their mind when it comes to family members and and you know taking care of a of a larger group of people? That's such an important question. First of all, think about who's under your roof. Who are you responsible that may or may not be under your roof for your home? I suggest everybody either have a pack or some sort of a go bag or a bucket for each member of the family keeping in mind what kind of special medications they may need that you can keep in that bucket if you can be mobile, if you have to evacuate. Plan for the special needs of your children. If you have children in diapers, for all by all means, have extras and have some they can grow into. If you have elderly parents, elderly members of your family, you need to take care of people that have medical issues, stock up on extra supplies for them that they may need. Um, reading glasses is something that we don't think about. Think about the items that you're really going to miss 
that you might not be able to get and get extra ones on. You know, these little Walmart reading glasses, I stock up on those all the time. But think about long-term, get more powerful magnification as time goes by. Think about also family that might not be living under your roof. Here's a really, fortunately it worked out okay, but during Hurricane Matthew, I heard a dispatch call to 911 from a woman who was calling from out of that immediate area about her elderly parents. Father was in a wheelchair, couldn't get out of it, obviously. The mother was calling 911 from on top of her kitchen counter. It's flooding here and I, we, I can't get my husband out of his wheelchair. What do we do? And the dispatcher said, we're not sending anybody to get you. This goes back to when you said, why can't I just rely on the government? This is as clear an example as I can give you of a life or death situation. And the government says, we cannot help you. Ultimately, you have to rely on yourself because if the government does fail you, your survival is ultimately your responsibility. Your children's survival is your responsibility. Why would you farm that out to somebody? Hopefully it would work out, but if it doesn't, wouldn't you feel about good about yourself that you are surviving in a situation where other people are miserable? That's a chilling story. And, uh, you know, as you were thinking about it, I, it, it occurred to me, you know, just just a basic thing, like making sure that everybody in your family is on the same page. For instance, I have children that uh, live in town, but they don't live with us. So, you know, I, one of the things I'm definitely going to do after talking to you is make sure that we sit down and have a talk and say, okay, if, if these situations develop, this is what we're going to do so that we have that plan in place. Because you can't necessarily depend on a text or a phone call in the, in the uh, in the middle of an emergency, you know, another one of those things that we take for granted is having instant communication with each other. So I think it's it's really important to have a plan in place with family members and and you know even friends that you're not necessarily living with, so that you know, okay, in this situation, we're gonna we're gonna meet here or we're gonna do these certain things. It's absolutely crucial to have a plan ahead of time, especially if you're fortunate enough to have family in your area. Where is our rendezvous point? What is going to be plan B if, if our house is destroyed? Do you know the roads to get back and forth from one place to another? What if the roads are out? Do you have alternative means? And you might not be able to rely on your navigation systems. So know your area very well. Know what areas you're going to need to avoid. Again, what they call PERSEC, personal security, is going to be very important there. You might also have to consider what about family members that aren't on board with this, who all of a sudden will be very much on board when they need what you have. So you might consider planning for them and thinking, okay, I know that they're not going to have food. I better store up on extra food for, for my family. And as you branch out from that, we come into some very ethical considerations. What about the people that are not prepared? How much can you help them? And at what point does helping them become a violation of what we call OPSEC, operational security, where now you are vulnerable and people know in your in your community that you have food and they feel like they're entitled to it. It's amazing how uh, people will cease to get along when their neighbors are starving and they know you have food and uh, you need to keep it for your own family. So we have some ethical considerations there as well. Yeah, I want to get into that ethical aspect of it here in just a second. Uh, one of the things that that 
I've written some about, and I actually do have some some knowledge on, is just the fact that you know we've talked about hyperinflation. Uh, we saw in Greece where um, they basically had a financial crisis. Banks shut down. People couldn't get access to their cash. I mean, just think about the uh, power outage. You know, you can't stick your card in the ATM when the power's out. So it's very important to have uh, funds available, and you know, not necessarily uh, Federal Reserve notes, because in the event of hyperinflation or some type of financial meltdown, people may not really care a whole lot about your dollars. Uh, so one of the things that we talk about, and we have a section of this uh, on the Shift Gold website, is just having the ability to barter. Uh, for instance, one of the things that, that we have here in our home uh, is junk silver, old silver coins, just quarters, dimes, and nickels. And you know, you have a quarter that has silver content and it's worth about $4. Uh, so in a situation where I need to barter with somebody, I know that that's going to have value because precious metals hold their value. Um, and, and I guess there's, you know, it, it's not just necessarily having gold or, or silver, which would be important, but I think there's probably other things that you would want to have that would be more valuable than your, uh, your federal reserve modes. Can you think of some things maybe that, that people would, uh, would want to have on hand just for the ability to be able to barter? Uh, one thing somebody once told me was bullets. <laughs> well, absolutely. That's the first thing that comes to mind. You know, gold and silver is pretty. It's going to be a great way to come back as as society starts rebuilding to have some sort of a currency like that. But in a crisis situation, you can't eat it and it's not going to have the intrinsic value as, say, food is going to have or ammunition. Uh, you can also think of what are people really going to want at that time? But they can't get it that that they will be willing to trade for alcohol, cigarettes. We're gonna want to keep up our vices. <laughs> coffee, have coffee for people, even if it's little instant packages you can distribute and give to give to people. Uh, hygiene, uh, hygiene things, especially for women who might not have planned medical supplies. Even if it's just something like Advil, you know, when you think about stuff like that. That is a highly concentrated form of bartering materials that doesn't take up a lot of storage. You talked about how can I store all this? Well, I can have something that can maybe help people, help them feel a little bit better. And uh, so think about things like that. Even if you have old coats, I used to donate all the old things that I had. I find myself still donating and trying to help at keeping coats handy and for neighbors' kids, and they, they might need something like that. So pretty much anything that you use in life is going to be uh, good for barter. Batteries, pencils, pens, paper, things like that. You know, now we're looking out a little bit long-term. Another thing I tell people is what's really great for barter is have a service you can offer. Are you good with electricity? Can you work with uh, setting up a solar uh, power system? Can you do woodwork? Can you fix things, plumbing, anything like that? Can you hunt? Can you provide food? Are you a medical doctor? Can you treat people, stitch people up? You know, everybody has something to offer in these communities. And what I advocate is get together with the people in your neighborhood. And if you know somebody that's a medical doctor, hey, you know what? Can we count on you in this situation? And in exchange, the community will in turn provide your family with the food, the water, and even security that you may need. So people have something to offer. It doesn't always have to be something tangible to trade. 
Well, if anybody needs anything written during the apocalypse, I'm your man. <laughs> um, you know, it, it is interesting. I, I was thinking, I've, I've read a lot of, um, I, I used to be really interested in World War II history. When I was younger, I don't have as much time to, to peruse that stuff as I used to. But it is interesting if you read about uh, the prisoner of war camps. Uh, in almost every one of those stories, you'll find that cigarettes became currency. And that's one of the things you mentioned. You know, we love our vices, uh, cigarettes, coffee, and booze. Um, it always seemed to have uh, value no matter how bad things get. I'd like to circle back to the, to the ethics because that really fascinates me. And it's something that I don't think that a lot of people think about or I don't think it's even really talked about all that much. And, and you brought it up. So can you can you get a little bit deeper into that? What are some ethical considerations that we need to consider when it comes to being prepared? And if we find ourselves in a situation where, uh, you know, the the normal ties that bind society start to break down. What I'm going to do is start like I did with the other aspects of it. <clears throat> start small. Start with your family, start with your little, your your group and your community is you are prepared. Your family, your friends choose not to. And they say simply, I'm just going to come to your house. That's one scenario where you have people that have just considered themselves worthy of coming under your protection using the the. Um, preserves that you have put aside for your own family. And now all of a sudden food that you thought might have lasted for four people for one year. Now you're looking at 20 people for just a, a week or two, maybe longer if you really uh, ration it out, but that's not what you prepared for. So how do you, how do you turn these people away? What if your neighbors come or what if people passing through the community? We mentioned the opportunists those that might not be kind-hearted, those that might think nothing of killing you for what you have. People might smell you cooking food. They might hear a generator and they might come to your place and say, you know what, I think we're gonna hang here, whether or not you like it. Ethical considerations, do you help these people? Ethical consideration, where do you draw the line now where you're going to defend your family? We talk about, you know, you've heard my shows where I talk about the lawful use of lethal force. And as we know, in society where that's functioning, the use of lethal force is justified legally when you have an imminent and immediate fear of serious bodily injury or death subject to the reasonable person test. All that goes out the window in a situation where calamity has ensued. So now somebody breaking into your home and wanting to steal your food can maybe be considered an immediate and imminent threat. Some people might not want to meet that with lethal force. These are things you have to consider ahead of time. So maybe if you have an ethical dilemma about using that, you better put some extra food aside, but you also better be willing to understand that that might not be enough for some people. So are you going to use lethal force? Can you set up a group of people that can protect your community? I also like having, I like to recommend if people are really new to this, read some of these post-APOC novels. They're entertaining and they also present you with scenarios that you might not have thought of. Two that come to mind, the first one I ever read was called Good Fences. My friend Boyd Craven wrote it. 
And it talks about a homesteader that somebody he had, he was a, a prepper rancher. He had everything he needed on his large property. He shared a fence with a gated community and the people who lived in this gated community, none of them were prepared. So now we have all these people all of a sudden thinking about how they can access what he has saved. Another one is called Wake Up Call by John McCann. That was a scenario where there was a massive earthquake in actually the state of New York, and there is a fault that runs through there. And they show how one, one couple who is completely unprepared and compares how well they do with a neighbor down the street who is a Marine Corps veteran and who was very prepared and the pitfalls that each have and how this gentleman helps them. So ethically, you have to understand, am I ready to use force, maybe lethal force, or am I ready to just give it all up to the people that come need it and uh, let the chips fall where they may? You have to decide how far out you want to extend this. You need to make these decisions and you need to have it set in your head before you're faced with that situation. You can't you can't be making these decision, decisions in the heat of the moment. Uh, and we were talking about it just in terms of, um, you know, concealed carry and the ethical considerations that go along with that. If you're not willing to use that lethal force, then you'd better not draw that weapon. And uh, those are the things that you have to consider, like I said, before you ever get to that point, because um, those aren't things you want to be trying to, to make up on the fly. So uh, I, I think that's really a great food for thought for people. Um, and I think that's really kind of the overriding theme that that you've brought to this is that um, we need to think ahead. We can't just live in in the right now moment, you know, and um, to to you to stretch an analogy a little bit. It's like, you know, people that are all uh, excited about the booming economy right now, you know, because the stock market is up. You need to look, uh, you know, maybe a, a few months or years down the road and, and look at what the uh, underlying uh, situation is and, and be prepared for that because living in the moment will often get you in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, we talked about all these other possibilities and scenarios, but one of the things people really overlook is that our entire economic system is predicated on a foundation of fiat currency. It's backed by nothing. You mentioned dollar bills earlier. Um, we might come to the point where I have a wood stove over there. <laughs> they, they might be a good source of kindling and fire starters at some point. So, uh, you know, it's good to have some cash on hand. But if there's something that's really critical and acute, it might not have any value to people whatsoever. You know, I really don't want that cash. But, hey, I'll take that car whether or not you want to give it to me. So these are things we have to think about. I don't think people realize the savagery that will ensue. And I don't know why they don't, because we've seen this before with the riots. We've seen people turn not only to their very best, but to their very worst. Look what happened in Louisiana with Hurricane Katrina. In one scenario, we had neighbors working together and forming communities, barbecuing. I had friends that lived there. And another, we had people that went into that big coliseum. The doors were locked. and. Uh, the worst of society imaginable ensued. So prepare for both. Absolutely. Well, that's fantastic. I really appreciate what you've brought to the table. And I think this is this is kind of a different interview than I've done before. And I think it really uh, I think it will really give people good things to think about and chew on. I've got one more question for you. I'm springing this one on you. I, I asked this question to everybody that I interview, and I actually already know the answer because I've edited some of your work. But I always ask people, 
When you're typing, do you double space after every sentence? I'm trying so hard to get out of that habit. <laughs> well, bless you for trying because I've told I'm a couple trying. people, I've told a couple of people that can't come on the show anymore. Because Awareness <laughs> is the first step. Listen, one one thing, I don't want to end this on the on the sour note of you know the the death and doom and gloom and destruction of society. Think about what's going to affect you the most. Get your family on board as best you can by making it fun for them. If you have small kids, get a muddy in the garden. Let them garden. Let them, if you have kids that like carrots, let them pull that food out of the earth. I, I'm such a believer that this lifestyle of being prepared is not only good for for a natural disaster, but it's also just good for your soul. It's a fun habit. Canning, it's my favorite prepping hobby. It can be a hobby that you can enjoy with your friends and family that will hopefully never be needed. But if it is, if if you do need it, it's there and it can be really fun. It doesn't have to be scary. It's something that people should share with each other. Don't be quiet about it. The more people that are aware of how fun it can be, how useful it can be, the the safer we're all going to be if something happens it's beyond just preparedness for a disaster. This is really a lifestyle of, of self-sufficiency, of uh, being able to take care of your own family, uh, being able to take care of your community. Part of this is knowing your neighbors. Um, and these are all things like you mentioned that go back, uh, you know, for, for generations and generations, this is how people lived. And it's really just a modern occurrence that we're completely dependent on all of these government organizations and, and all of this technology. So, uh, you know, I think in, in a way what you're talking about is really getting back to uh, our, our kind of human roots as being a real society as opposed to everything being this uh, political circus that we live in all the time. So, yeah. And I think also speaking of politics, we have to look at the role that the political circus is playing in what we call our health care. And as the government takes it over more and more, we have seen from other countries in the example they're setting, the worse our care is going to be. So one of the things I consider to be a form of preparedness and, and money in the bank is being in good health. If you're smoking, if you got your bad vices, if you're really overweight, if you're out of shape, you know, just stop. If you're eating a lot of junk food, just stop because at some point it's going to be very difficult to manage healthcare. If you have diabetes or heart or lung issues, Start now, clean up your diet, grow your own food, be self-sufficient because when I'm when I'm 80 or 70 years old, if I live that long, I don't want to be dependent on government sponsored healthcare. I want to live as long as I can and not have to rely on that and medications. So that's something people need to think about. Before we close out, I want to give you the opportunity to share any uh, social media or uh, I know you have a, a have your own show that you do. So share all of the great places that you can find Suzanne Sherman on the web, on social media, and, uh, and, and how can people get in contact and follow what you're doing? I really appreciate that. Some friends and I, some friends of mine and I, we started a little radio network called the Cerberus Radio Network. We talk a lot about politics on there, but on my show also, the Wasatch Report, I try to combine preparedness and politics so people understand. I try to bring in kind of two groups. I have my prepper followers, and then I also have my political people. If I can get the two combined and have this one bank of knowledge, boy, we can learn from the mistakes that have been made politically. We can survive the turmoil going through that. And 
my goal is hopefully we can arise from the other side of what might happen uh, better than we were when we got into it. I'm also starting with a friend of mine, we don't have a name for it yet, but a homesteading preparedness self-reliance website as well to give people, particularly those that are curious and want to know more, a common sense approach to getting started and living a more self-reliant lifestyle because I am I am really a, a firm believer that self-reliance is the key to liberty and that's a mission that uh, we both pursue both with your work at the 10th Amendment Center, this with Shift Gold. Ultimately, being prepared, being able to do this is how we're going to maintain our freedom. Absolutely. What's the website for your radio network? Cerberus Radio Network, and it's on Facebook. We're on SoundCloud and uh, YouTube as well. C E R B E R U S. And are you on? Are you on the Twitter? I'm on Twitter, Cowgirl Esquire, C-O-W-G-I-R-L-E-S-Q. <laughs> cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I think, like I said, I think this has been great information. You did a fantastic job of of uh, getting people's taste buds wetted. Uh, everybody go out there and start getting prepared. Uh, yeah. Thanks, thanks again. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You've been watching It's Your Dime, an interview series presented by Shift Gold. For more information on investing in gold and silver, talk to a Shift Gold precious metal specialist today at 1-888-GOLD-160. That's 1-888-465-3160. Or visit us on the web at shiftgold.com. You can keep up with all of the latest precious metals news at shiftgold.com news. And tune in each week to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap Podcast. This is your host, Mike Meharry. I appreciate you watching, and I'll talk to you again next time.